Thank you for listening to the Calvary Chapel Lubbock podcast. Our mission of teaching people to love God by showing them how much He loves us starts right now. Okay, church, let's start, let's start our Bible study this morning uh, over in Matthew 16. Okay, Matthew 16 starts in a place where some of us know, uh, I know Tamri was there, it's a place called Caesarea Philippi. It's up in the northern area of Dan, and if you go to Israel with us in 2021, you'll be able to see it, but it's up in, in there. It's called Caesarea Philippi. Now, what you need to know about Caesarea Philippi is this was the Mecca of pagan worship. This was crazy. Whatever you were into, guys, whatever you went to, this place had a shrine, had a place where you can worship. This is Caesarea Philippi. Now, here's the thing. If we were good church-going folks, we would never go to this place. If I said, hey, listen, we're going to go up to Caesarea, you'd be like, mm, that, crazy, that place is crazy. There's too many. Uh-uh. I'm a good church-going person. I'm not going. This is what it would be, guys. We would never go to this place. Now, before we read what we're going to read, think about this. Jesus took his disciples over there. That blew my mind. Jesus took his disciples over to this place. And there's a reason why. But think about it. It was the Mecca of pagan worship. As a matter of fact, look with me. I'm going to show you real quick. I want to see this. This is so important. Okay, I'm going to show you on the screen. Here is Caesarea Philippi in Jesus' day. Everybody see that? And here's my little pointer. Over here is kind of a mountain where maybe Jesus took his disciples up. Okay, and he's going to overlook this. This is called Caesarea Philippi. These are all temples right here. This is the temple right here. You see this little niche right here? You could put your God, whatever it might be, and then you could worship it there. So all these little niches that are still there today, all of this is still there today. This is what the disciples would have seen, Caesarea Philippi. Now, everybody see this area right here? You see, they're kind of looking. It's kind of hard, but it's a little bit different here. It's kind of like a waterfall. This is known as the Temple of the Nymphs, where we get our name, Nymphomaniac. It's more like, it's kind of like the pornography of the day. If you wanted to worship sex and pornography and weird stuff and bestiality and all of that crazy stuff, this is where you would go, right over here. And so there's people worshiping. And now there's other people right in here as you go back into the temple. Now this here, I'm going to show you a picture in just a moment, but keep that in mind. You'd walk in through here, you'd worship, and this right here, guys, was known as the gate of hell. The gate of hell. Now, you go, well, what was all this? Well, Jesus calls all of this, guys, the gates of hell. All of this, all of this pagan worship. But he does something so crazy, he takes his disciples up here. Now, let me show you the next one real quick, and then we'll go back to this. Look, they would worship the god Pan. This is the ruins of the god Pan. This is, you guys see this area right here? This is where that temple would have been. This is known as the gate of hell. And the reason why is because the, the Jordan River would bubble up from under it, and what would happen is that they would actually sacrifice their children in here. And to worship the God of Pan, they would take it. And here's what they said. There's a couple of things that I read this week. They said, number one, if you sacrificed anything in there, like your child, and it bubbled, 
the God, the little G God that you were serving was appeased. Your sacrifice was accepted. If there was blood that came out, you were in trouble because they didn't accept the sacrifice. So we would walk up there today. We could go in there. We're standing there. It's touristy. We're taking pictures. We're standing right here. And so, but that back in Jesus' day, guys, this was nuts. You would never, we would never go there, okay? This right here, you can see, this is the Jordan River, and it comes, and it flows from Mount Hermon underneath and comes out, but there's water in there. And they would often say if the water moved, oh, the gods are down below. And, and they would, this, it was just crazy worship. It's crazy worship. Well, notice with me, guys, notice with me as we go through. I mean, you had the Temple of the Nymphs. This was known as the Mall of Pagan Worship. Could you imagine? Hey, want to go to the mall? Yeah, what's at the mall? No, 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 the mall of pagan worship. No, I'm not going over there. I mean, this was serious. And this was the gate of hell. And all you had to do, guys, is state the name of your God and worship it. This place was the center of pagan worship up north. Kind of like, and again, I'm just looking for stuff. It's kind of like Las Vegas is, Sin City, kind of like L.A., New York. I mean, there's just so much, but it's kind of like doing that. And, and it's just crazy because it would be like if your pastor said, hey, hey, Kevin, I'm, I'm getting a trip together. I'm like, Kevin, you want to come with me? Santos, you want to come with me? Anthony, hey, you, you guys want to go? We're going to Vegas. It would be crazy. We're, we're going to go, we're going to see some shows and maybe some, you'd be like, no, I'm not going with pastor with you, Vegas. This is nuts. This is nuts. Right, Armando? That's what Jesus does. Notice what he does. He takes them, but there's a reason. Look with me in Matthew 16, picking it up in verse 13, okay? Jesus takes his disciples, and when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asks his disciples a question. He says, who do men say that I, the son of man, am, right? Who am I? And so they look, and of course, I mean, think about it. They're probably freaked out. They're like, what are we doing here? Jesus, this is what? We're good Jewish boys. We serve the living God. What would we do here? He goes, hey, I got a question for you. Who, who are people? What are they saying about me out there? Oh, okay, Lord, okay. Let's just, let's just answer the question, and that way we can, we can get out of here. So some said, hey, some, think, some say you're John the Baptist. Others go, no, 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 you, they think you're Elijah. Others go, no, 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 we, we, we heard that people were saying that you, they thought you were Jeremiah or maybe one of the other prophets. And then Jesus does something, can you imagine? So you're, you're up there, you're looking down, you're seeing all this, all this pagan worship, and it's just making you sick. And then Jesus turns to you and he says, but, and he said to them, but who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And I'm going, yeah, Peter, that's a great answer. Great answer. He's, he's not looking at the pagan worship. He's not saying this is who people say. You are the Christos. You are the anointed one. You are the son of the... And Jesus answers and he, and he says to him, look what Jesus says. Jesus said, answered him. He said, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah. Bar-Jonah means son of Jonah. For flesh and blood has not revealed that to you, but my father who is in heaven. Peter, good job. God spoke to you. Yes, I am the Christos. I am the anointed one. I am the son of God. Everybody see that? That's the statement to Peter. That wasn't you. That wasn't you. That was God speaking through you, Pete. 
Amen. And then he says something here. Check it out. Look at verse 18. He says, and I also say to you, you're Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church. And the gates of hell or Hades shall not prevail it against it. Okay? So this is so key. This is so, he says, you are Peter, but here's what I'm going to build my church. I'm going to, upon this rock. Now, what rock is he talking about? If you go back to that slide, Joseph, you can see, guys, you can see how big the mountain is. It's huge. I mean, he's saying, upon this rock? No, not that rock. Upon Peter? No, Peter, Peter was, was, was just an apostle. He was a servant. He wasn't the first pope, and that's where a lot of people will take this out of context and begin to say, oh, well, you see, it's he saying upon Peter, upon who you are, Peter, that's how I built the church. And then, they have, then we have a, another division in the body of Christ. That's not what he's saying. He's saying upon the statement that Pete made. What was the statement that Pete made? Okay, the statement that Pete made, he says, you are the Christ the son of the living God. Jesus says, yes. And he says, upon that statement, look, he says, the gates of hell, all this pagan worship is not going to prevail against it. You guys tracking with me? Jesus stated the very purpose for his church. He says, when I build my church, the worldwide church, the Calvary chapels, the Baptists, the method, I might build my church, he says, the gates of hell. What is that? The pagan worship, the divided worship, the selfish worship. He says, that's not going to prevail against it. That's what Jesus is telling the disciples. Now, you might be here this morning going, Ben, why is this important? Well, how, does, how is this? Well, listen, listen to this. The church at Corinth, guys, was flirting with disaster. They were small young church, but they were already causing division within the church. They were already causing division. And so Paul realizes this. And and like I told you, next week you're going to learn a little bit more about Paul. But Paul, remember, he was taught by Christ himself. Because we would ask that question. We'd go, well, Ben, he wasn't up there at, at Caesarea Philippi. That was his disciples. How did he know? Well, Jesus saved him on the road to Damascus, and then he took him. And over in Galatians chapter 1, verse 12, Paul writes, I received my message from no human source. No one taught me. I didn't get taught in school. He said, instead, I received it by revelation of Jesus Christ. He said, I was taught by Jesus. I was taught by Jesus. So the Apostle Paul, knowing this, that the church is flirting with disaster, he has to write them a letter. And it's a letter of loving admonition. And last week, if you recall, Paul had a wonderful greeting, and it was seasoned with grace. And if you remind, he opens his letter, I think, a lot like how we should live our lives. Paul's going to have to confront them in a very loving way. But before he confronts them, he says how wonderful they are. And he reminds this church. He reminds them of who they are in Christ. Hey, you guys accepted the Lord. You're okay. You're saved. And and Paul says, hey, how about that? And he tells them how special they are. And he tells them how much God loves them. 
And then he looks at him, he says, how much I love you. You see, Paul didn't just plant the church, put over leaders and said, man, I'm never. He goes, I remember. I remember this. And he says, and you know what? I think about you guys often. And he says, and, and by the way, remember, you, you've got that spiritual help that you need. You've got that spiritual help to stay the course before Jesus comes. Stay the course. You got it. Well, today, Paul realizes that he must confront the problem. Why? Why, Paul? Or else the problem is going to consume the church. You, you with me? He has to confront it. And the problem that we'll see is, is one of the problems is, is between chapters 1 and 4 and that there was divisions in the church. You see, there were some teachers that were coming through Corinth that many began to pick their favorites, right? Oh, I like this. Oh, I like that teacher. And you go, well, Ben, is there anything wrong with picking your favorite teacher? No, 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 except that it caused division because not only did they pick their favorite teacher, they began to talk bad about the other teachers. They began to say, no, don't go him. Don't do that. You got to do this guy. And so Paul sees it and he goes, oh, no, 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 no. And he realizes that something's happening here, guys. You go, what's that? That they were not united anymore. And that they were following the man rather than the Lord. Paul tells them this. Check it out. And I think it's great application for us. Paul reminds them that the church is a community of people centered around Jesus, not men. That's what the church is. Church, guys, listen, listen. This church is not about the pastor. It's only about Jesus. And I say that because, again, we think about what's going on. He's saying, no, 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 here's what the church is. The church is not centered around one man preaching. Or this man doesn't preach, or this man. It's about Jesus. That's what the church needs to be about. It's about Jesus. And he reminds them that we're all simply servants of Jesus. All of us. And we're one body. Oh, yeah, well, Ben, you're the one who gets to talk. But listen, this church would not function if everybody else wasn't doing their part. Listen, I can't be up here preaching the word of God and running sound and doing PowerPoint and checking on children's ministry and making sure nobody comes in and checking the parking lot and all cleaning. It takes everybody. That's what Paul is trying to say. It says, why do you do these things? Because of Jesus? And he says, okay, okay, that's the problem. That's the problem. But now he's got to tell him. He's got to tell him something very hard. And so we have a messy division, and it's corrupted by their culture. And so Paul has to do something that, that listen, we don't even want to bring up because it's hard. But he has to expose the division. He has to show them. So what's going on? Well, look at it. Pick it up in verse 10. Say goodbye to Matthew. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10. Paul says, now I plead with you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing and there be no division among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. Now, I got to be honest with you. I taught this first service. It's packed. It's packed with stuff. You go, what do you mean? Listen, notice how Paul starts out. He starts off with the word now. And so he's kind of going, hey, now, listen, come now. I need to speak to you. And he says, I plead. I plead. I found that very interesting. You go, why? Because if you have a New King James Version, it's plead, but a better Greek rendering might be beseech. It might be exhort. 
Because I looked up the word plead, and here's what I found. Check this out. The most common usage for pleading is the Greek word. It's E-N-T-U-N-C-H-A-N-O. N-T-U-N-C-H-A-N-O, or chano, however you want to say that. But it just means to make a petition or to plead with. It's like, I'm begging you, please. Please. It's like going to Anthony and saying, Anthony, please come with me. Come on, man. I'm, I'm, that's the word. That's how it's used mostly throughout the scripture. Paul doesn't use that word, which I found interesting because the word says plead. I'm pleading with you. Well, what word does he use? If you have a pencil handy, you can just write this down. It's actually the word parakleo. Parakleo. It's, it's where we get our, our other Greek word parakletos, the Holy Spirit. You go, Ben, he uses that word? Yeah, here's what it means. It means to call to one side, to call to one's aid, to come and comfort. See, Paul's not just saying, listen to me, guys, I'm begging you. He's saying, I'm going to come alongside you. I'm going to come alongside you. I'm going to comfort you through this. See, Paul understands, guys, that this church is a mess, and it's in a mess right now. But what he does is he comes with the heart of Jesus, and he says, I want to exhort you. I want to comfort you. I want to come, I want to come alongside you. I want to render aid. I want to render aid. You see, Paul loves the church, and even though he's about to expose their division, he comes with a heart that I found very interesting because it's the same word that the Holy Spirit used of the Holy Spirit, parakletos, to come alongside, to be our advocate, to be our comfort. Our comfort. It's like, wow. Wow, Paul. Paul. Here's what I love about Paul, guys. Listen to me. He's not here to ridicule or shame them. He's not here going, listen, I've only been gone a year and a half. What's wrong with you people? How could you be? Didn't you hear a thing I said? He's going, guys, I'm just here to help you. I'm pleading with you. I'm pleading. I want to come alongside and help you. And then I got to stop and go, you know what? I've got to ask hard things need to be said. Right, Paul? Yes, sir. Hard things need to be said. But he says, but they must be done in love with no personal satisfaction. Guys, it's scary to think that Paul would exhort and correct this church with a sense of personal satisfaction. (laughs) He says, no, because we're supposed to speak the truth in love. And that's what Paul does. Okay, now listen up. Paul says, I exhort you, I comfort you, I I lovingly want to help y'all. And he says, by the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So I had to stop and go, okay, Lord, why, why would you use this word, Paul? Why would, you, why would you choose this word? And here's why, guys. Because the divisions in the church is facing Paul, right? And here's what he wants to do. Now he wants to restore unity. He says, I see that now this is starting to divide you. I see that you're on a path of division. And he says, and I need to restore that unity. Hey, I think you all are great. I love you. God loves you. He's got a great plan for your life, but let's talk. You go, what does he say? If you're taking note, the very first thing he says is that, he says, guys, that we would all speak the same thing. That we would all speak the same thing. You go, Ben, what is he saying? He's saying, guys, that we could be united in obedience. We'd all speak the same thing. What I've taught you. Let's be united in obedience. We should be all speaking the same thing. Why? Because he said, the reason why, so there would be no divisions among you. Let's all speak the same thing so there's no divisions. You go, Ben, um, 
What's that word division mean? Well, I find it interesting because in the Greek, there's several renderings, and one could mean like tearing a paper, but the best one I found is translated it to broken bones. It's like when you break your bones, right? Anybody ever break their arm or break their leg or something? You know it hurts. You, you break the bone, and that's what he's saying. He's saying, guys, listen, we need to be united. We're a church. We need to be united, and we need to speak the same thing. We need to be united in obedience. Why? Because right now, you've got some broken bones in the church. You've got, you've got a broken bone, and that hurts. He says, there's divisions among you. You've got some broken. Then he says, and not only that, he says, we need, to, well, we need to be perfectly joined together in the same mind. Not only are we saying the same things, we should have the same mindset. He says, we should be united in fellowship and harmony. In harmony. Notice what he says that we would be perfectly joined. What's the opposite of something broken? It's being joined back together. And that's what he's telling us. He said, oh, wait a minute. What happens when you break your arm? They take you to the doctor and they join, right? They put it back together and then they wrap it in a cast so it could join and heal properly. That's what he's saying. He's saying, listen, guys, we need to be united in fellowship and harmony. And then he said that you would be perfectly joined in the same judgment. Judgment here, it means the judgment is displayed outwardly on things that need to be done. You go, what does he mean? What is he saying? What is he saying? He says, number one, we need to be united in obedience. We need to be united in fellowship. He says, but we also need to be united in mission, where we're going, the things that need to be done. Divisions will cause all of that. And I started to think about our little church here on 42nd in Boston. And I thought, how, Lord, how can we make an impact in Lubbock like you want us to make? He said, the very same way. He said, Ben, look at your core values. You see, if we're going to be a church that's going to impact Lubbock, we must be united in obedience to God. Amen? But that's just loving God. That's our core value, love God. If you love God, we're going, to be, we're going to be in the same mindset in obedience to him. And I said, Lord, how can we impact Lubbock? He said, you must be united in fellowship and harmony. What does that mean? We need to love people. We need to love people. Here's what we need to do, guys. Listen, it's easy to love each other. But what God wants us to do is to love the unlovables, those that are hard to love. And I'm telling you right now, if you ever purpose to love an unlovable, if you ever say, God, teach me how to love, he will bring you somebody that's so unlovable and he, they will be in your workplace and you'll be like, I do love. And he'll teach you how to love through that person. Man, there was a guy way back when I lived in Missouri and uh, his name was Chris. And we thought Chris would be all right. We hired Chris. The problem was is that I had to ride with Chris in the delivery van all the time. You talk about somebody who just, he was that sandpaper to you. You know what I mean? Just, he was rough on the, ugh. We just, mm. Lord, teach me to love. Here's Chris. Oh. I don't want to say, here's Chris. I want to be like, there's Chris. I left him on the side of the road. Are you kidding me? Uh, just me, or does God do that to you? You want you ask for somebody to love, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You're like, hmm, hmm. Go, how was you, I'd go, how was your day? Hmm, hmm, hmm. 
It's real funny, too, because we're still friends on Facebook, but I was, oh. <laughs> But that's what we do, guys. He says, guys, we need to love people. We need to love people. How many of you know people are a mess? We're a mess. <laughs> so we need to love them, right? He says, because you guys need to be in uni- united in fellowship and harmony. Then he says this. He says, we must be united on mission. Well, that's our third core value, that we need to live radically. We need to live radically. And so I see this. I'm going, wow, this is what you've called Calvary Chapel to be. But they, they need to be more than just our core values that we put around our cards and in, in, in our cafe. These are things, guys, that we'll need to do to win people to Jesus. They see the love that we have for God. They see that the love we have for people. And they see that we live radically. We're different. And my heart, guys, is that we would purpose in our hearts to live these values each and every day for loving God. And it goes on. Paul says, okay, that's the problem. And he says, now, verse 11, for it has been declared to me concerning you, my brethren, for those of Chloe's household, that there are contentions among you. Now, again, think about what he wrote. The Corinthians wrote to the apostle consulting him concerning certain points. Okay, we know this. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1, Paul says, now concerning the things you wrote to me, okay? So Chloe's household writes a letter to Paul and says, we've got problems in the church. We've got contentions. Do you guys see that? And they're very serious problems because the Greek word for contentions means strife, heated debates, schisms, fights, and quarrels. And I bring this up because someone from Chloe's family thought the most disturbing report to my attention, Paul says, he says, you guys are fighting amongst yourself. You're fighting. Chloe wrote me a letter, and I need to address this. Now, here's what I find interesting, guys. Real quick, let me give you a nugget. I love that Paul names names. He said, Chloe's household wrote me a letter. But I want to tell you, whoever Chloe is, was not afraid to say, go ahead and quote me. Go ahead and quote me. Because a lot of people would say, well, that's gossip. See, Chloe shouldn't have been writing a letter to Paul airing our dirty laundry. But when it comes to gossip, church, gossip is when you go to somebody and you say, hey, let me tell you about this and this and this, and they turn around and tell you, can I quote you? And you go, oh, no, don't quote me. I don't want any fights with them. I don't want any... The second thing we say about gossip, guys, if somebody tells you gossip, you say, am I part of the problem? No. Am I part of the solution? No. I don't need to know about it. But what I want to show you in Scripture, guys, is that Paul says, hey, can I quote you on this? And he goes, yes. Because, listen to me, because because Chloe says, whoever he is, is going, listen, I know this is serious business, and you can quote me because, Paul, you're the one who can really help. See, he's telling the person who can really make a difference, the problem. Paul says, I'm just responding to this letter from Chloe. The church might go, I can't believe Chloe, but he's going, guys, we we need help. We need help. Well, what's the problem? What's the problem? Well, again, you go, Ben, it's, it's division. It's division. Chloe's got a great heart. He sees division. Now, I thought, okay, so we're talking about division. And before we get into our text, I need to know what God thinks about division. What does he think? 
Well, Proverbs chapter 6 and 16 tells me some things that, wow. Notice what he says. He says in Proverbs 6, 16, he says, Six things the Lord hates, seven are abomination to him. Okay, what are they, Lord? He says a proud look, a lying tongue. That, that got me. There's no such thing as a white lie. Hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that are swift to running to evil. Notice, a false witness who speaks lies. I'll testify. And then listen, one who sows strife, division among the brethren. You want to know what God hates? God hates a person who sows division among the brethren. And it starts off really easy, guys. It says, hey, want to go to lunch? Hey, want to go to lunch? Hey, did, let me tell you, did, did, did you know at Calvary Chapel or did you know Pastor so-and-so or did you, hey, did you hear? And that person goes, no, I didn't. Wow. I didn't know that. And what happens, guys, is it starts to cause division. Because that person goes and he says, did, honey, did you know that and, and listen, we're the most imperfect church there is. But the problem is, is that now we're causing division because now you have a group of people going, wow, blah, blah. And it starts off because somebody, and, and I'm just going, listen, here's the thing. I don't want to be a part of anything that God hates. My God hates those that hates this, those who show strife and division. I don't want to be a part of that. And so we know that he's going to deal with division. So Paul's going to get to the bottom line. And this is one of the cancers in the church. And if you're taking note, here's what he, he wants us to bring out, right? You can see they're personality cults. They're personality cults. You know, like what? Think about it. It's not good. Paul says in verse 12, he says, now I say this. Okay, he's writing back, okay? Let me tell you exactly what I was told. He says, some of you say I'm of Paul or I'm of Apollos or I'm of Cephas or I'm of Christ. Now, to you and I, when we first read that, we're like, well, okay, they're just picking their favorite teachers. No, 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 it goes deeper than that, guys. And I, all week long, I've just been meditating and talking about this. But here's what they're saying. He says, many in the church are going, I'm of Paul. When Paul came through here and planted this church, I got saved. I like Paul. Paul's my man. I like Paul. Well, what do you think about Apollos? Nah, I like Paul. I'm loyal to Paul. Oh, well, I know Peter came through. Nah, I don't like Peter. I'm a Paul. He says other people go, no, 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 I'm of Apollos. I'm of Apollos. Apollos is cool. He's my dude. Yeah. Well, what about Paul? Yeah, Paul started the church, but man, I really connected with Apollos. Others were saying, no, 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 I like Cephas. Do you mean Peter? No, 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 Cephas. No, Peter. No, Cephas. We're calling him Cephas. Why? Because that's the Aramaic name that he's been given. We're going to call him Cephas. Okay. And then there's other people that go, no, 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 I don't, even, I don't even follow Paul or Apollos or Cephas or anybody else. I follow Christ. I follow Christ. I'm of Christ. I'm of Christ. Well, what are they really saying, guys? What are they really saying? See, it's not that they're just picking their favorite teachers. Listen, there's nothing wrong with us having our favorite teacher. There's nobody, oh, man, I really like the way. There's all of us, we can relate to somebody, and, then, and, and my favorite teacher changes all the time. In one season, I'll be really into this. Oh, I like the way he preaches. I'm, I'm getting stuff out of it. And then I'll be like, huh. 
And I'll go to another one, and sometimes it's Pastor Chuck, and there'll be times I like Rawl, and there'll be times I'll just go all over. We have our favorite teachers, but something is deeper going on here at the Church of Corinth. You go, what's that? Well, think about this. Here's how I want you to think about this. There are divisions, guys, in people sense, but there's actually divisions in the church sense. You go, what do you mean? Some say, I'm of Paul. When they say I'm of Paul, means they didn't care for any other teacher. You related to Paul better than anyone else, and the problem is, is that it wasn't that you just related to Paul, but that you turned on others who were coming through Corinth. You actually started to badmouth them. And the sad part, I think about this, is that you, know, you go, man, Paul was a passionate, loving evangelist. So the problem is, is that if, if he said, hey, guess what? At 6 o'clock tonight, Paul's going to be behind the pulpit. He's going to bring a great message. Y'all want to be here. And you're like, yes, I love Paul. But when you walk in, you sit down, and Apollos gets up here, then you start going, whoa, 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 whoa. I, I went out here to see Apollos. And they leave. You see how the, they're creating division there. They were just like, no, I don't. Come on, honey. We, I thought Paul was going to be here. We get that today, guys. We, we, I mean, we, we just get that today. There are people who call up these just churches and say, is Pastor so-and-so going to be there? No? Uh, I'm not coming tonight then. I really want to hear ba ba ba. I'm of Apollos. I don't like Paul. Well, Apollos was a very polished teacher. As a matter of fact, if you do some research, he was very intellectual. So Apollos taught very, very intellectual. He was the kind of guy that was like, he, you'd be taking notes, and he might say a word, and you go, I don't know what that means. I have to go home and look it up in the dictionary. He's so polished. He's so intellectual. And there were people going, that's what I like. I like Apollos. I like because I'm intellectual, you see. And I have very big words. I have a very big vocabulary. And, and they liked Apollos. There's nothing wrong with liking Apollos, right? But the problem is, is that they were saying, don't go see Paul. Don't see Cephas. Don't. It's deeper, right? Which it's interesting to me when people come after me and go, Pastor, I really like, I really like the way you teach the Bible. You bring it so down to earth that I can understand you. And I'm like, I have a big vocabulary too. I just... The late Chuck Missler used to teach, and he used to teach so high. If you've ever heard Chuck Missler, you're like, he's like Apollos. I have no idea what he's talking about. He's so smart, and he's with Jesus now, but, but I mean, that's Chuck Missler. That's Chuck Missler. And he appealed to a great number of people who had that same mindset. And then some of the people say, I'm of, I'm of Cephas. Cephas was Peter. Cephas knew Jesus. The problem with Cephas is you guys look, if you look at his life a little bit, he's a little bit more legalistic, and so were they. They were more like rule keepers, and they kind of had a bent towards the rule keeper. See, I really like the way that Paul, I really like the way that Cephas was a Hebrew, and I really think we need to get back to the roots of more being more Hebrew. Or more legalistic. Oh, I don't, we don't, and think about what was happening. Think about what was happening, right? Food. Food's going to be an issue. Peter wouldn't put up with food, right? Because Peter was the guy who said, no, Lord. You know, Peter, kill. Rise, Peter, kill and eat. No, Lord, I don't, I don't eat anything that's unclean. 
He was very, and so people were gravitating towards Peter. And then you had a group of people that go, no, uh, I don't like Paul. Apollos, Cephas, no, I'm of Christ. And everybody goes, yeah, but you know what? That's the worst one of all. And you go, how so? Because they were saying in a deep way, I'm more elite than you because I'm of Christ. I'm a super believer and my walk is so much higher than everybody else. I don't follow man, I follow Christ. Now, the problem was is that they weren't following Jesus. And the reason they weren't following Jesus is because they were creating division, and God's, Jesus is not about division. You can say, I'm of Jesus and love people. That's our problem. Our problem is that we go, man, we love Jesus, but if we love Jesus, we love his people. We, that's just in us. That's natural. We go, man, I love Jesus. I love you. But they were saying, I don't associate with y'all because I'm of Christ. And he's just like, no, come on. It's a D. He's going, guys, you see? You see? They were saying we're way better than everybody else because we don't follow men. We only follow Jesus. And, and, and then, I mean, think about this, guys. We don't have time. I mean, we're running out of time now. But you can see how denominations in churches have even begun by what? By picking a favorite man. And here's what I wrote down. Guys, there's even some past some pastors that think they're rock stars. I mean, we see them, guys. Listen. A pastor is a servant. A pastor is a servant. A Christian is a servant. And we have so many people out there trying to dupe America by their rock star. Well, I have to have this, and I've got to live here, and I've got to do that. And it's, I'm just like, oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. But let, let me just say this, okay, and then I'll get back to it. What, what Paul taught was truth, amen? What Apollos taught was truth, amen? What Cephas taught was truth, amen? And Christ, obviously. I'm not talking about division on, on, a, on, on somebody who's teaching heresy and leading you down a false path, okay? We need to name those names. Hey, be careful with that. Well, you can't be that. You're causing division. No, these people were teaching the truth. So we have to be careful. Now, there are some charlatans out there that want to lead the lambs, the, the, little, the body of Christ off a cliff. We know that. We're intelligent enough, Right? But what Paul is saying is like, he's saying, guys, here's the problem. The problem is these guys are all teaching the truth, but you're putting your favorite above what Jesus wants to speak to you each time. And he's going, okay, okay. And so Paul says, okay, let's, let's, let's check. Let's, let's take the gloves off, okay? He says, this, this is cancer, guys. This is cancer of personality cults, and they need to be cut off. And I, I got to be honest with you, we could spend weeks on just on this, on this chapter. I mean, I could, we could dig deep and deep and we just don't have time. But notice what he says in verse 13. He says, is Christ divided? No, Christ isn't divided. He says, look at this. Was Paul crucified for you? I wasn't crucified for you. I wasn't put on the cross. He says, or were you baptized in the name of Paul? Now, today we're going to have a baptism at 6 o'clock. And never have we ever baptized anyone in the name of Calvary Chapel. 
He says, we don't, we never baptize, baptize you in the name of Ben. He says, no. He says, we, I've never done that. He's, and then he goes on, he says, I thank God I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, lest anyone should say that I baptized in my own name. Yes, I also baptized the household of Stephanus. Besides, I do not know whether I baptized any other. Paul says, I'm not into baptism, guys. It's because you're going to label me. He says, we were not baptized in the name of any pastor or priest. And now we come to the most powerful verse in this chapter, verse 17. It says, for Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with words of wisdom, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of no effect. Think about this, guys. Verse 17, if you're an underliner highlighter, this just Paul just dropped a truth bomb on us right here. The first thing he looks at is he writes to the church and he says, Guys, my Jesus didn't send me to baptize. Why? Because salvation doesn't come through baptism. We have denominations that have split off, guys. We have churches that will will, will fight me tooth and nail that say you have to be baptized in order to be saved. And Paul just said, listen, here's here's the apostle. Here's here's the one who wrote more of the New Testament than anybody else. And he says, guys, Christ didn't send... Listen, if this was going to be a doctrine, he would have said, listen, this is what Christ called me to do. He called me to baptize you because in, in through baptism comes salvation. And I carry around my bucket, and this is what I do. This is my ministry. You hear about Jesus, sister? Okay, psh, let's baptize you. That's Paul's going, no, no, he didn't do that. He didn't do that. And I know half of you went to Nacho Libre when he baptized him. I know that, but I'm not even going to look at you. I'm not going to make eye contact. But he said this, guys. He said, salvation doesn't come through baptism. He says, if it did, that would be my main ministry. And he reminds us that baptism is an outward sign declaring to the people what God's already done in your heart. And we can see, even in our day, divisions concerning baptism. Paul does tell us the reason that Jesus sent him. What did he say? He says, to preach the gospel. He says, to preach the gospel. He says, now I need to be careful because I don't want to preach the gospel with words words of wisdom or wisdom of words, right? Because then what happens, he says, the cross of Christ He says, it's no effect, but he says to us, the cross of Christ is enough, is enough. That's the gospel. That's the gospel message. Here's my thought, right? And we're going to close. We're going to close here. Okay. Here's my thought. The gospel, very, very important. Very important. You go, why? why? Why is that? Because we have to preach the gospel to ourselves each and every day. Here's the gospel. Okay, here's what he's saying. I was called to preach the gospel. This is what I got to do. I got to tell you. I got to preach it each and every day. Well, you go, Ben, I thought the gospel was like, hey, if you want to give your life to Jesus, raise your hand. It's the good news. Jesus died for you. And then once they're saved, that's the gospel. No, see, the gospel is for every one of us each and every day. Here's why. Paul is trying to warn them about divisions, about following people, leaning on Paul, leaning on Apollos, leaning on Cephas, leaning all of this stuff, right? This is who I like. Paul says, no, 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 here, you're leaning on them, guys. You're causing division, but let's take a step back and let's preach the gospel to you. 
well, I thought we preached the gospel. I thought we were saved. No, no, let's go a little bit deeper. Because the gospel is, is the transformation that's possible by loving obedience to it. Okay, well, what is it? Here it is. Listen, when we preach the gospel, we have to stop and we have to ask ourselves this very important question. What, what are those things in our lives that if they were taken away tomorrow would make us feel like we don't matter? What are those things that if they were taken away that would make you feel like you didn't exist? What are they? And see, for some people, remember, like the church in Corinth, it could be, it could be hey, I'm, I'm leaning to my favorite teacher, my favorite denomination, my heritage, where I came from. Others are relationships. Or, or they could be goals. They could be, they could be achievements. This is who I am. They could be dreams. Oh, you go, why, Ben? Why is this important? Here's why. Listen, because if we can identify, like Paul's trying to tell us, if we could identify the very things that if they were taken away from us would cause us to just tailspin, then we could go, maybe that's what I've been leaning on for my salvation. That's what, I was, that's what I've been leaning on to actually save me. And Paul, he reminds us that the gospel message speaks loudly to us. That in the gospel is found everything we need. All of our worth, all of our value, all of our love and acceptance and approval. Everything that we crave, guys, everything that you're looking for, listen, it's already yours. It's already yours. Why? Because Paul says, I came to preach the gospel. It's already yours. Because of what Jesus has done for you and what he gives to you, that's where you find your approval. That's where you find your worth. That's where you find who you are. It's not in all the things that we keep looking for. Oh, sure, the church of Corinth, we're looking for men and looking. It's going to get deeper than that. He's going to give us the cause next week or two weeks. But I'm telling you right now, the gospel I need to preach to me every day. Because the gospel is about Jesus in my life. My worth and my acceptance is based on what he did at the cross. That's what Paul does. If we don't understand the gospel, we find ourselves leaning to personalities in an effort to find approval, love, acceptance, and validation. But they're already yours in Christ, they're already yours. He says, the cross of Christ paid it all. That's what we got to hold on to this morning. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word this morning and the truth in your word. I thank you for your great love. I thank you, God, that you're in control of all things. And even now, Lord, I pray that the gospel would penetrate our hearts. With every eye closed and every head bowed, maybe you're here this morning and 
I was saying some things and some lights were going off. You're saying, but pastor, I don't know if I really have a relationship. I mean, that's exactly what it is. I, I keep looking to certain things to try to, to try to find my, my approval and acceptance. And you're telling me that it's Jesus and only Jesus. I want that. I want that. In a moment, I'm just going to ask you just a simple question. If you're here today and you've never surrendered your life to Jesus and you know that, that, that today's your day, I'm just going to give you an opportunity right now. I'm going to give you an opportunity right now to give your life to the Lord. Pastor, what do I have to do? I'm just going to ask you to lift up your hand. And by lifting up your hand, you want to say to God, God, I hear the gospel. I'm yours. I'm coming home. God's Holy Spirit is so powerful and so moving. You've got to ask yourself, Lord, am I right with you? Am I right with you? Listen, what I love, and I said this on Wednesday night in Amarillo, what I love is that he brought you all the way to church, man. He followed you all the way here. He's got a plan for you. But you've got to surrender. He won't do it for you. He's got to, you've got to surrender. So if you're here this morning and God has been speaking to you, will you just lift up your hand and say, Pastor, will you pray for me? I need to give my life to Jesus again. I need to give my life to him. He's the one. Will you just lift up your hand right now? We want to pray for you. Pastor, why do I have to lift up my hand? I want God to see your heart. He's here today. He's sitting right next to you. And all you have to do is go, Pastor, pray for me. I want Jesus. Is there anyone here that would want to do that this morning? Lord, I thank you for today. I thank you for your great love. I thank you for what you're going to do tonight. I thank you and I'm excited. We love you, Lord. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, this is Pastor Josh. I hope this message has encouraged you in your walk with Jesus. If it has, we would love to hear your story of how it has impacted you, or especially if you responded to the invitation to receive Jesus into your heart as your Lord and Savior. To get in touch or to receive more information, please contact us by phone at 806-799-2227 or send an email to calvarylubbock at hotmail.com. Again, that phone number is 806-799-2227. Also, if you want to partner with us financially to take the gospel to West Texas and the world, please click on the Donate button on calvarychapellubbock.org. Thanks for listening to the podcast. May God richly bless you.